But you know, how many of you believe that God is on the move? I, I like to just to get, well, I'm going I'm to sing a song in a minute. Uh, Brother Andrews told me that they were able to get a new keyboard, and um, so I'm going to try it out today. But I, I, was, I did a revival last year in Phoenix, it's, it's the 2015. Remember Sister Kimsey? And uh, she's 76, and uh, she started a new church at 76 in El Mirage, Arizona, which is over there by Phoenix. And so I went and did her a revival back this summer in Phoenix in July. It was 117 degrees. Now, that's a great place to preach on hell. You get a lot of converts. But, but in that revival, we saw so many miracles of healing. We went, we went for three weeks in that revival. And one of the miracles that we, we saw uh, out of the really many, many, many miracles in that three-week period was a man by the name of Brother Valentine. And Brother Valentine, he's in his middle to late, middle 70s. And a lot of you I know are new in church, but there was a great evangelist back in the 1940s and 50s by the name of William Branham. And so he used to go to William Branham's meetings as a, as a young person, and, and uh, they saw all the miracles back in the 1950s. But he said that in this meeting, in fact, Gene Jeffrey came, and um, we saw, he said, we've not seen a move of God like this since the 1950s, since William Branham. And Brother Valentine had a cancer on his head, a skin cancer, back in July, and they could not see him till November to, get, to remove it. But you know what? During the praise and the worship, the power of God began to sweep through the, the service, and that cancer just fell off his head onto the floor. How, how many of you know, folks, it's, it's, let me tell you something. I, I told the church over here with Sister Sophia, I'd rather have 10 people that want a move of God than 1,000 that could care less. How many of you today are hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost? Praise, I, I don't, I, another lady came up in that meeting. Let me show something over here, Sister Sophia's meeting. Another lady came up, she had contracted a virus 20 years ago on the mission field. All of her, her internal organs shut down. Her spleen, her kidneys, her liver, everything shut down, she was dying. She had gone to the Mayo Clinic, clinic there in Phoenix and said, there's nothing that we can do for you. But you know what happened? She came up for prayer, and before she could tell me what her problem was, she said, Jesus appeared to her in front of me. She said, I saw his eyes, I saw his hair, and he laid his hand upon me, and she said, I was slain in the spirit, and when she got up, all the pain had left, and she went back to her doctor, and he said, I don't know what happened, but you're totally healed by the power of God. When I, I was preaching over here with Sister Sophia's church this past week, and the Lord has made it so real to me that we need the presence of the Lord. Not the presence of man. Not the flesh. I mean, we have that already out here in the world. We need the presence of Jesus. And where his presence is, anything can happen. How many of you believe the presence of the Lord is in this house today? Stand on your feet if you would this morning. I hope I don't mess up your uh, keyboard over here. But now I, I'm I'm old school. I like new songs, especially that last one you saw that you sang. Our God is awesome. How many of you know that He is awesome? Praise the Lord. How many of you have been in church for at least twenty years? Well, you might recognize this old song. Praise God. Give a flat, brother. Got it. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. Put your hands together. He wrote my name above, and he filled my heart with love. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our trouble. He will hear our faintest cry. 
He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer will turning, then you'll know a little fire is burning. Have a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Well, let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our trouble. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by when you feel a little prey will turning. Know a little fire is burning when you have a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Well, now what do you want the Lord to say? What do you want the Lord to say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is all I want the Lord to say. Can I get a witness out here today? Well, now what do you want the Lord to say? What do you want the Lord to say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is all I want. That is all I want. That is all I want the Lord to say. Well, can it shout praise the Lord today? Praise the name of the Lord. How many of you love the Lord today? I said, how many of you all really love the Lord today? Can you shout amen right now? Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to be back here at Victory World Outreach. I, I want to say Victory Assembly of God. Because <laughs> I think Victory Assembly in Phoenix, excuse me, in, in Tucson, and uh, the Victory Outreach Center here to see how God has been blessing your ministry and Brother Blake, and it's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Brother, thank you so much for that time. You let me stay at your house in Argyle a couple of years ago and did the revival. And I, I just thought about that driving up the highway this morning. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. I know they've moved on and sold and everything else, but thank you so much. Appreciate that. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Mark this morning, chapter 8. If you would, Mark chapter 8. Beginning in verse 31. When I, when I preach the Bible, I believe the Word of God or the Bible is God's Word. I do not believe it's a philosophy. I'm not a liberal theologian and what I mean by that I do not believe there's certain scripture references that are not inspired I believe everything is inspired by God I do not believe that in levels of inspiration that some parts of the Bible are more inspired than others I believe it's all inspired by God I do not believe that this is a philosophy or psychiatry or psychology it is God's word I was sharing over there such as Sophia's church this past week then the Roman Catholic Church, the pulpit is always to the left of the altar. And the reason is, is because they believe that, that it's God, the church, and then scripture under the, the, the church. And so far, so the, the scripture is second. But in the Reformation, they moved the pulpit to the center of the church, meaning everything must flow from the word. Because we believe it is God, then his word, and then the church. In other words, we are subject to his word. The good parts, the parts we don't like. You know, I, I remember I was talking a few years ago to a good friend of mine up in Kansas City. He's a Jewish rabbi, but he's an Assemblies of God ministry as a messianic congregation. And we were talking about the law of God, and he said to me, Chris, what part of the law is bad? I said, well, nothing. Not, it just doesn't save me. But the law of God is not bad. The Bible says the law of God is pure, converting the soul. And so when I preach the Bible, I preach with the conviction that this is God's word. This is not God's idea. This is God's word. How many of you today believe that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God? I'm struggling, Sister Sophia. I'm thinking in Spanish up here. Hallelujah. I, I'm trying to get my mind back into English. And, uh, but faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
And the, and, the, and the word of God is the final revelation of God. Let me just say that again. The word of God is the final revelation of God. I'm not looking for another revelation. This is it. If you want to know who God is, get in the word. And that, that takes a responsibility. And, and the word of God ultimately teaches me or shows me how to get to heaven. And how many of you this morning want to make sure you make it to heaven? Last year I had the opportunity to preach up in Boston, Massachusetts for a pastor that is a Harvard graduate. He was raised in the Assemblies of God and uh, went to Evangel in Springfield and then finished up his master's degree in Harvard and worked for Prudential for 18 years. A brilliant young man by the name of uh, Brett Miracle, tremendous young man. His father's an executive presbyter in Springfield. But as he was, as he was uh, working secular and making a lot of money, the Lord began to deal with him about preaching the gospel. And so he took a church about two years ago, and uh, he invited me up to preach. And truthfully, I was very apprehensive to go up to uh, Boston. Actually, I was in uh, Lexington where Paul Revere did the ride. To, do, uh, to preach up there because of my preaching style. I thought, man, I don't know how these people can accept me. They may want to throw me out. I don't know. And uh, as I was, started going north, I'd never been that far north in my life. I crossed the, uh, the, the what river is that? The, the uh, Potomac River. And then when I crossed the Hudson River, I said, I'm in a foreign country. And uh, went up there and began to, I, I opened the, 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 the Bible, and man, this church was traditional. They had a pipe organ. I mean, it's a beautiful church. And the pastor said, these people up here are extremely intellectual because I was only 10 miles at the most from Harvard. Then you have MIT, then you have Tux, and all these great universities up there. And I felt I was really out of my league. But the Holy Ghost showed me something. And he said this, Jesus did not preach to the mind. He preached to the heart. And I told that congregation where the median income of that town is $75,000. I said, I'm not here to preach to your mind. I'm here to preach to your heart. And so that's what I'm here for. I'm not going to preach to your mind this morning. I'm here to preach to your heart. I don't care who we are, how much we have, what we don't have, what our color is of our skin, what our background is. Everyone here at this, at this church is the same. The only one that is exalted in this place is Jesus Christ. Can, how many of you know that he is exalted today? Give, give Jesus a clap offering. Jesus is, gonna, is speaking here as, as, as we give the word about your eternal destiny. And um, if, you're, if, you're, if a person's already dead, that's it. There's, you're, there, there's no escape for wherever they went. But I want us to, to look at the word of God and I want us to pray that the Holy Ghost will come and direct us. And Sister Sophia, would you please pray for this message? And you can pray in Spanish so that people can hear you. Praise God. Would you pray this morning? Amen. Beginning in verse 31 of Mark chapter 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said, and he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. 
But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him, and with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me out of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh. And notice that. When he cometh in the glory of his Father with, his, with the holy angels. Je Jesus Christ, whenever you begin to study the ministry of Jesus, he preached to the multitudes. I mean, he, he preached to thousands of people. You look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached to everybody. He preached to children. He preached to adults. He preached to young people. He, he preached to the sick. He preached to the lame. He preached to the leper. He healed them all, the Bible says. He, there was one account that Jesus fed 5,000 plus women and children, which is probably around 20,000 people at one setting. That's a big banquet. Uh, I, Brother Andrews, the family were the owner of Furs Cafeteria out in West Texas, and that's a big line to go into the cafeteria at Furs or Luby's. But Jesus, he fed them. Uh, Jesus Christ, he loved every individual. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ loves us today? If you do, say praise the Lord. He, he loves us in spite of us. He loves us in spite of our sins. He loves us in spite of our background. He loves us in spite of all the things we've been involved in, all of the mess we've done in our life. Jesus Christ loves us. That that's never the, the problem. We know that God loves us. But Jesus did not try to disciple everybody. That's the difference there. Jesus only had 12 disciples. He didn't try to disciple the multitude because there, there's a requirement of discipleship. I, I think one of the frustrating parts of preaching, of, of pastoring at least, when I have done that before, is, is you'll have a house full of people, but very few people that will truly go all the way with Jesus. And, and, and you want everyone. You, you know, you go to church and I was sharing with them at this, uh, Sophia's, you know, when I, when I grew up in church, kids would sit in the back and, and write notes and talk. But now it's texting. And I was checking the, the score on the ball game and, and the, the distraction. They're just really not there. And you want to pull them in and you try everything you can to pull people in. But some people just don't want to be pulled in. Now, they like the music. They like it when, when Carly gets up here and we're, we're worshiping God and, and we're saying our God is awesome. We kind of feel it and we get into it and, and, and it'll move our heart and move our spirit and we'll even lift up our hands and we'll clap our hands and then somebody will sing the special song that we like and we can kind of get wind to it. But when it comes to commitment to the Lord, it just, for some people, it's not going to be there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you are a parent? Have you ever talked to your kids and they're not listening? Now they're sitting there and they start rolling their eyes like this. Oh, yeah, all right. Oh. I remember when I, when I was a teenager and I was kind of going through those rebellious years like a lot of kids do. And um, my, my, my mother would sit down with, now my, when my dad talked to me, that was different. I mean, <laughs> But my mother, when she sat me down, she said, I happen to be your mother. And I'm thinking, really? Like I didn't know that? Now, now with dad, it wasn't like that because in our house, there's only two opinions that counted, his opinion and his opinion. 
that that's what that's what counted in, in our house and I thank the Lord for that and and you know I, I appreciate that and and but but ultimately you cannot make people do what they do not want to do and so Jesus Christ begins to deal with something that is so amazing and that is called your will and God will never take away your will we are a product of our decisions. How many of you have made some good decisions in your life? How many of you made some bad decisions? How many of you have ever made a decision? We, we are a product of our decisions. When Brother Andrews and his family moved from Texas to Arizona back, he was sharing with me, the 1963, that's been a while ago, that was a decision. When my grandparents left Oklahoma in the 1930s to go to Arizona because of the Dust Bowl and there's no work in Oklahoma, that was the decision. I guess they decided they don't want to blow away with the rest of the dust, so they left. Those are decisions. You are a product of your decision. And Jesus says something that is, that is powerful. He says in verse, verse 36, it says, for what? Shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world or shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now what Jesus is saying is there's a actually, you could actually maybe gain the world. But some people, that's where their heart is. The world. Gaining the world. Working. I, I don't know how, how, Brother Andrews, how old is this building you're all leasing? When was it built? 25 or 30, let's just say 30 years ago. Maybe, maybe back in the late 70s, early 80s. Th this building was built. But how many of you know it looks old? And one day they're going to, uh, Blake told me they're going to widen the, build, the, the, the street out here. So, so the man that built the building sweat for it, paid the mortgage, it's going to eventually be torn down someday. Just like your house. Anybody ever been to an old part of town? And those houses at one time were all new. Did you know that? New fixtures, new, what, back in those days, linoleum, new, new sinks, new faucets. It was, it was, the place to go 80 years ago. But now some of those houses are in slums and they're falling apart. And people worked for those houses. They worked to pay them off. But like everything in life, it's going to fall apart. How many of you remember when you were young and you, you were beautiful and you were handsome and you look in the mirror and you look at, you have those pictures of when you graduated from high school and now your kids or your grandkids look at them and they go, who is that? They go, well, that's me. They look at you now and they look at that and look at you and they go, are you sure? Because we're all kind of wearing out. How many of you remember when you bought your first new car? Whatever that was. And then it gets old. So it's breaking down. So you got to get another new car. And then another new car. And you're, it's, like, um, it's like the old attache that says, I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. And people spend all their life trying to accumulate things that are eventually going to be in a garage sale. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, guys, you're, how old are you, you guys now? And how old are you now, son? 15, and how old are you? Seven. You, don't, you don't play with your toys anymore. I don't even know if you still have any somewhere in the back in a closet. But, but maybe they've already been sold or given away or given to goodwill or given to somebody else. But, but somebody's paid a lot of money for that stuff. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I've known ladies, of course, not here in Texas, but other places I've gone to that, that will tell their husband, I have nothing to wear. And, and, um, 
you, you'll go to the closet, there's a hundred dresses in there. Like, uh, there's not, what, what they're meaning is there's nothing new to wear. And it's like Amelia Marcos, the, the, the former president's wife of the Philippines, who had how many sho- pairs of shoes did that lady have? Thousands. While the country is in poverty. And Rockefeller was asked the question probably back in the 1920s that said, how much money is enough? And Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. When is it enough? When in this world is enough to satisfy us? I know people that are called professional students. There's probably some over here at UT. Now, I believe in education, so don't misunderstand me. But there's some people that never do graduate. They're always there until the, till the way it's time to retire. I know a person that, that studies because he was given an inheritance that as long as he was in school, he'd get... I don't know how many millions of dollars, but he just stays in school. Now, that's a pretty good deal for me. If you feel to give me several million dollars, I'll definitely go back and study. I'll take take Zuni basket weaving. Something to keep me in school. And some people are always studying, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth because the world cannot satisfy you. How many of you have found that out? I mean, it's like some people will, will, will pray, oh, I just want to, I just want to win that house on, on the home and garden store or so or whatever for that two and a half million dollar home. I want, and they're making, they're working at Walmart for $10 an hour. I just want to, I just want that house and, and they win it, but then they can't pay the taxes on it. It doesn't, doesn't satisfy. And Jesus says, what does it profit you to gain the whole world but lose your soul? I I, I was uh, studying quite a while ago and I began to come across something that that, that has stirred my spirit about uh, people like this. And I I just kind of looked and I began to research the dying words of atheists. Because you see, you're going to die. And if you've ever been to a, a, a cemetery and looked at the, the, the grave markers, there's every age group represented there. From babies to children to young people to young adults to middle-aged uh, a good friend of Sophia's and mine, a uh, pastor at a great church in Dallas, Texas, by the name of Benjamin Paredes. He's from Guatemala. Guatemala. Uh, he built a church running over 2,000 people. It's it's uh, Bethel, Bethany Assembly of God. That's how we would say it in English. But he died a few years ago of pancreatic cancer. He wasn't even 55. You're going to die. I know when we're healthy, and, you know, we're, we've got everything going for us. We never really think about that, which I'm not saying we have to, but, but, but it's not in our mind. But, boy, you get, you, get the, you get the flu, and you think you're dying, and you wish you could die. And as I begin to, to look across America, I see this rise of men and women that, that are atheists, and, and they think that all there is in life is the world. What they have. But I, I want to read some of the dying words of atheists that I, I found out that when, when atheists are dying, they're no longer atheists. Caesar Borgia, famous, he says, Well, I lived, I provided for everything but death. Now I must die, and I'm unprepared to die. Thomas Hobbes, a political philosopher, said this. I say again, if I had the whole world at my disposal, I would give it to live one day. I'm about to take a leap into the dark. Has anybody ever been by the bedside of a dying person? I have. I have a friend of mine, she's a nurse down at Baylor in Waxahachie. Went to Southwestern with her. 
I said, can you tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever when they're dying? She says, oh, yes. Because unbelievers struggle. And unbelievers unprepared. They, they may curse God, they, they may be religious, they may go, th they, they have all whatever is, what they, people think they're supposed to be in life, but once a person is on their deathbed, it's just them. They may have their whole family around them, they may be singing to them, they may be talking, joking, but the, the issue is they're slipping away slowly. Thomas Paine, we've all heard of him, the leading atheistic writer in, a, in American colonies, said this on his deathbed. Stay with me. For God's sake, I cannot bear to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them, that the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave. Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me. For I am on the edge of hell, here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. Thomas Paine helped frame the United States. We studied him in school, but he was an atheist. He knew more than God. He knew more than the Bible. He knew more than any preacher. Have you ever met anybody like that? But when he's on his deathbed, what difference does it make? Sir Thomas Scott, Chancellor of England, said this, until this moment I thought there was neither God nor a hell. Now I know and feel that there are both and I'm doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. Voltaire, famous anti-Christian atheist, I'm abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months life. He said this to Dr. Forson, who told him it could not be done. Then I shall die and go to hell. His nurse said, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die. All night long, he cried for forgiveness. Robert Ingersoll. Oh God, if there be a God, save my soul, if I have a soul. Oh God, if there be a God, save my soul, if I have a soul. From hell, if there be a hell. Napoleon, the French emperor, and who, like Adolf Hitler, brought death to millions to satisfy his greedy, power-mad, selfish, ambitious for world conquest. I die before my time, and my body will, go, will be given back to the earth. Even is the fate of him who has been called the great Napoleon. What an abyss between my deep misery and the eternal kingdom of Christ. David Hume, atheistic philosopher, famous for his philosophy and skepticism of religion, he cried loud on his deathbed, I am in flames. It is said his desperation, he, it is said his desperation was a horrible scene. I want you to hear me this, 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 this morning, and I, I, I'm going to read a couple more that I'll be done in a few minutes, but you see, the body that we have is going to go back to the dust. It's your soul that is eternal. I believe in taking care of it. I, I love Brother Anders has lost all this weight. My friend Sophia, she's lost Wait, I believe in working out of the gym. I believe in taking care of it. I'm not against that. I don't, in fact, I don't believe the Bible is. But when it's all said and done, this body that you and I live in is going to die. It's going to be buried or cremated. And I'll tell you what's going to happen to you. They will have a funeral for you. 
whatever your culture is, however it is, whether we're Anglo, black, Hispanic, mixed, everybody has a cultural norms and funerals. That's one thing I've learned about preaching with different cultures. There's three, cult, there's three uh, cultural norms that you always see in, in people, a baby dedication, a wedding, and a death. That's where you see the culture. And when you die, they're going to have a, a service in your behalf. And then they're going to take you out and bury you. And they're gonna go back, then they're going to go back to the church and eat chicken. And talk about how much you were and who you were. And then in a few years, you'll be forgotten. They'll look at pictures of you. And people will look at you that, that were born after you died and won't even know who you are and could care less. And your picture will be ending up in Cracker Barrel on the wall with the rest of the antiques. But those people that are on walls in Cracker Barrel, that's not them. Because your spirit will live eternally somewhere. Your soul will live eternally somewhere. I want you to, to, to are you with me still? In a Newsweek interview with Savenia Stalin, the daughter of Joseph Stalin, she told of her father's death. My father died a difficult and terrible death. God grants an easy death only to the just. At what seemed the very last moment, he suddenly opened his eyes and cast a glance over everyone in the room. It was a terrible glance, insane or perhaps angry. His left hand was raised as though he were pointing to something above and bringing down a curse on us all. The jester was full of menace. The next moment, he is dead. Anton LaVey, author of the Satanic Bible and high priest of the religion dedicated to the worship of Satan. Some of his famous quotes are, there is a beast in man that needs to be exercised. His dying words were, oh my, oh my, what have I done? There is nothing, there's something very wrong. There's something very wrong. The reason why this church exists and Brother Blake has outreaches and we receive offerings and we rent buildings. is for this day. Now, I believe the Word of God teaches us how to prosper. I believe the Word of God teaches us how to be successful. I do believe in that. And I believe we need to preach on those topics. But I'm not preaching on that topic. There's people that say, oh, well, I, they don't go to church or they don't, they don't um, serve the Lord because there's hypocrites in the church. And I, there are. There's probably some hypocrites here. People say, well, I've been hurt in church. Well, so have I. But have you ever hurt anybody? Have you ever been a hypocrite? I mean, why is it always them? When you die and go to hell, what difference does it make how you got there? How many hypocrites were there? What difference does it make, you know, who hurt you? What preacher did this? What preacher ran off with the secretary? Or, or what preacher stole from the, the offering? I mean, what difference does it make? We're not talking about how people and excusing people. When people get saved, yes, we can deal with those issues after people get saved. But if you go to hell hurt or go to hell angry, what difference does it make? It cannot get you out. These people I just read about all hated God. They did not believe in God. They disdained God. But now they're having to meet God on their deathbed. 
And so you, so will you and I. You and I are going to have to meet the Lord. And no matter how virtuous you were in this life, how many children you had, who your grandparents were or were not, you're going to have to face God alone. I'm as holiness, I'm like Randy Snow, you know that, Brother Andrews over there, Faith Tabernacle, I, I believe in the holiness message, I, I've, I, 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 I believe in living it and all of that, I was raised in it. But it's not about how much I, holiness I look if my heart is corrupt. It's not if I'm singing traditional music, contemporary music, and I, and I believe, I believe, understand all, I believe the word of God gives framework and all of that. But brother, I'm not preaching on music this morning. I'm not preaching on those issues today. I'm preaching to your heart because one day you're gonna have to stand before God. I remember preaching for Sister Hurley. I mentioned this at Sophia's church this past week. Brother Hurley, Sister Hurley pastored, and they were missionaries in Honduras. They're old line, holiness, Pentecostal, some of the God people. And they, ha they had a little church in Dallas called Little Bethel Assembly of God Church. Little old school holiness church, brother. Ever been to one of those kind of churches? Ever been to one of those one of the old school churches? I mean, we're talking about old school. You know, when, they, when people went to the altar, men went to one side, ladies to the other side. That's just the way it used to be. But whenever I would preach for Sister Hurley, there was a young man that would come who hated my guts. I never spoke 10 words to this guy. Literally, and I don't mean that. I mean, just like, he could not stand me. Whenever I would preach it, he'd show up, and he wasn't even a member of that church. He would just show up. And I remember I'd preach there, and Sister Hurley would come up to me and say, Chris, I believe God is dealing with, with Daniel. And, and I said, I know he is. And I said, but he can't stand me. He says, she's, I know, but he's dealing, God's dealing with him. And so he'd come, and I'd be preaching. Whenever I'd be preaching in that little church, he'd sit in the back shaking his head like, no, 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 no. Just defiant. Have you ever met anybody that just could not stand you? Let me see your hand. Is there anybody in life that cannot stand to, I mean, you're in Walmart and they are too. When they see you, they go the other direction. You're, you're, you're in the mall over here in Denton and you're walking to the mall and, and they come right at you and they just walk right by you. They, they, they hate, the, you're, they just hate you. That was him about me. He could not stand me. Well, one night he came on a Wednesday night and I preached the message out of Hebrews, laying aside every weight and sin that's, that's so easy to be said us. And, and I made the altar call, but he just came to the altar and he left. Sister Hurley and I and her brother Hurley, we went to their favorite restaurant, McDonald's. We only went, Brother Andrews, to high class places. Now they're in their 80s, okay? So, you know, Got to give them a break. That's that's it. That's it. I mean, that's getting out for them. Or Catfish King. And so we're sitting there and we're talking about that. And, and Sister Hurley said, man, I, God is dealing with Daniel. He's about my my age. And and not that I'm real young and I'm not old. I mean, it's kind of right there in the middle. And God's, Chris, I just know God's dealing with Daniel. And uh, I said, I know. I know Sister Hurley. But, but, you know, I don't know what it is about. I don't know why he doesn't like me, you know. And Brother Hurley said, well, I'll tell you what it is. He thinks you're this and this, which is not even true. You know, he thought I was, you know, a liberal preacher over here and all that kind of stuff. And I can't believe they were thinking about it. I would be liberal. But anyway, he thought I was liberal and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and, and he, you know, we went on and on and, and um, so so uh, the next day I leave for California and when I get out by El Paso now when you get to West Texas you can drive 80 miles an hour I love West Texas because man I mean those people going to California you're going 80 they're passing you they must be going 100, 110 miles an hour. But you know, who's going to stop you out there there's nothing out there I mean the, the, I mean, the, mes I mean, the mesquite trees only come up to your knee I mean, uh, Tucson looks like a jungle compared to West Texas. Nothing grows out there. The jackrabbits are, can jump over the trees out there in West Texas. And so I was driving out there, almost getting to El Paso, and, and all of a sudden I got this call from Sister Hurley, and Sister Hurley said to me, she said, Chris, last night when you preached, did you get a chance to talk to Daniel? I said, Sister Hurley, you know we went to McDonald's. We didn't get a chance to talk to Daniel. 
She said, well, let me tell you something. What happened last night? He went home and he didn't show up for work this morning. So his wife and him were separated. So the, his, his company called the wife to find out where Daniel was at. So she went over to where he was staying. And when she found him, he was dead. Sitting there watching TV. I said, well, Sister Hurley, do you believe he got saved? And we, Was he saved? She says, Chris, she said, unless he, in other words, he didn't. And I'm the last man he heard preach. Somebody he could not stand. And if he went to hell, he's remembering the last sermon he heard. For eternity. But Brother Andrews was on the board of First Assembly. I'm going to be, be, be uh, not, I'm not going to, anyway. Brother, Brother Andrews was on the board of First Assembly when the pastor's son committed suicide. Stan Brankel. The Brankles are very well known to the Assemblies of God. Uh, Don Brankle was Jimmy Swagger's associate pastor uh, there, there in, 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 in uh, Louisiana. And, and I, I've known the Brankles since I was about 11 years old. And, but Stan was always kind of a wild child. Through, through some circumstances, Stan commits suicide. Stan at one time was the associate pastor of their first assembly. What, what I'm trying to tell you is, folks, as if, oh, that's going to change my sinful condition. You're either going to heaven or hell. That's the bottom line. You say, well, are you one of them hellfire and brimstone preachers? Yeah, I am because Jesus was. He spoke of hell over 40 times in the New Testament. No sin will enter heaven. That's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me from all my sin. How many of you are glad for the cross, for Calvary, and the blood? If you are, lift up your hand and wave it and shout amen today. He said, well, I, I just don't believe it that way. Well, when you die, you'll find out. It's like I talked to the Jehovah Witness one time. Came to my door. How many of you have had a Jehovah Witness visit you? This is what I asked him. I don't get into big long discussions. I mean, I don't do that. I just asked him. I said, ma'am or sir, if I become a Jehovah Witness at my door and I die of a heart attack right here, can you assure my entrance into heaven? He said, no. I said, why not? Because only 144,000 are going to go. I said, so, and, but if I don't, now I know what they believe, but you know, I want them to tell me. I said, if I, if I die not being a Jehovah Witness, will I go to hell? No. Okay, I'm not going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. What happens to me? Well, you lay in the grave till Jehovah comes. When Jehovah comes, he'll resurrect you and he'll teach you to become a follower of Jehovah. I said, well, do I have to become a Jehovah Witness for that to happen when I die? I'll just lay there. When Jehovah comes, then I become. Uh, resurrects me and he says well uh, no I, I mean I don't have to be a Jehovah witness to be in the resurrection he says no I said well what's the point I'm not going to heaven I'm not going to hell I'm going to be just like you and he did not know what to answer I told that man I said sir let me tell you something you offer me nothing I said if I am wrong and you're right, what have I lost? But if I, what I believe is the truth, which it is, you've lost everything. A Mormon bishop asked me one time, 
try to convert me to Mormonism. I said, sir, let me ask you a question. I said, when I, if I die not being a Mormon, not being a Latter-day Saints person, an LDS, what happens to me? He told me, I get another chance. So look at you. Spending all this time to get me to be a Mormon. I don't even believe it. But if when I die, if what you believe is true, I get another chance? He said, yeah. I said, I'll just keep what I've got. And take my chances. Are y'all with me today? You, you see, the problem is what atheists have a problem with. I feel good. I'm sorry that you don't. <laughs> How many feel good in this place today? Is they have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the word of God. They have a problem with being told what they can't do or what they can do. They have a problem with the blood of Jesus and the atonement. That, that's why in Mormonism, I'm not attacking Mormons, but that's just the reality of it. They do not want to take communion with wine or grape juice. They take it with water because they do not want to be reminded of the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's why a Mormon church will not have a cross upon it. They have a, they have a spike up there. They do not believe in the power of the cross. In fact, their own theologians will say, that the blood of Jesus cannot atone for your sins, but your own blood can. I want you to know what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Can anybody lift up your hand and wave and shout amen today? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Can you give the Lord a cup offering right now. My Lord, can you shout glory to God? Hey, can I get a witness out here this morning? Praise the name of the Lord. I said praise the name of the Lord. I said praise the name of the Lord. How many of you remember Madeline Murray O'Hare? I saw some documentary about her. She was evil. She was an atheist. Got prayer removed from the school back in 1963. Hated God. But you know how Madeline Murray O'Hare died? One of her own men in her company or her corporation, whatever they called it, organization in Austin, decapitated her. Confined her. She hated God. Let me tell you something. I'm, I, I got to tell you, folks. God is a judge. I know you don't like to hear that. You won't hear that on TBN. You won't hear that on a lot of things anymore. But hear me today. The scripture still says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It still says knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Hear me this morning. That's why we send missionaries all over the world. Because when Jesus died upon the cross, he took the judgment that was upon me upon himself. He took the anger that was upon me upon himself at the the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my soul rolled away. I thank Jesus for the cross. I thank him for his blood. I thank him that he came down to this place. How many of you are glad that you're saved today? If your sins are washed away, shout amen. I remember when I was pastoring in Brownsville, Texas. Right on the border of Mexico. Anybody been down to the Valley of Texas? You know, 80 or 90, whatever, percent of the people are Catholic and they believe in the Virgin Mary. I don't say that it's disgraceful, but it's discredited, but most of those little houses down there had the Virgin Mary in the front yard. 
She's always sad. And I will say one thing. So Jehovah Witness went to a Catholic house and knocked on the door to give them the Athalaya or the watchtower. And uh, this lady said, can't you say I'm a Catholic? Can't you see where the Virgin Mary is in my front yard? And the Jehovah Witness people said, well, she didn't tell us anything. So he knocked on your door. And what they're saying is we're determined to tell you about religion, their religion. Well, how much more should we be determined to tell people about the love of God, the mercy of God, and that there is a God? I said, there is a God. How many of you believe, how many of you know there is a God? One more time, how many of you, help me out this morning, hallelujah. How many of you know there is a God today? If you believe it, shout amen. He's too big to fit into a statue. He's too big to fit into a tabernacle. He's too big to even fit in the universe. He does not live in the universe, young men. The universe lives in God. How big is God? How big and wide his vast domain? How many of you all know that God is a mighty God today? If you believe it, shout amen. And brother, let me tell you something. If you're saved and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, when you're on your deathbed, it's not something to dread. It's something to look forward to. Can I get a witness out here? You can say, my Lord, I'm almost on my way to see Jesus Christ face to face. How many of you today want to see him? If you do, shout amen today. Glory to God. And don't worry. If you don't want to see him, you won't. Surely Caesar sings. The only people going to heaven are those that want to. I just love the world. I just love, I just love my things. Really? I love my things. I just love my kitchen. (laughs) Can I take that with me to heaven? He's probably got a whole better one in heaven. Don't you understand? This world cannot compare with the riches that God has given or is waiting for you and I. Can I get can anybody help me over on this side? Hallelujah. This side is helping me a whole lot. But this side is kind of, kind of looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Hallelujah. How many of you all know that, brother, God is preparing something for you that is better than this world can even give? If you believe it today, shout amen today. Are you bored of this room this morning? Voltaire's in hell. Napoleon's in hell. Hitler's in hell. Mussolini's in hell. Sister Sophia, have you ever preached a funeral where someone is in hell? And all the family wants you to preach him into heaven. I don't tell them they're in hell, even though I was thinking that. Because we want to be kind. You have a kind face. Maybe you could do my funeral. You look nice. But I preached a few funerals where they're burning, but the family's crying. Oh. <laughs> Do you think they made it? Of course, the, the, the nice response is, they're in the hands of God. Oh, a pastor, he really loved God. He's out there fornicating, adulterer, liar, schemer, 
but he loves God. As they say in Louisiana, I might have fallen off the turnip truck, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the first load. But because, you know, in a, in a, in a funeral setting, as I'm, honey, would you come to this place up softly? Because, in a, because we're ministers, we minister to the people. But it won't matter what we say over your body if you're in hell. Just real softly, if you don't mind, young lady. I'm concerned about the destiny of people. This past week at Sister Sophia's church we had, was it Tuesday night that lady was saved? Monday. Monday, a lady that had not been in church for 13 years came and gave her heart to Jesus. Then her two sons the other night got saved. Anybody else in her family get saved? The little girl get saved yet? The little girl, that's three of her children. Got saved. And baptized in the Holy Ghost. Yes, the lady was. The next day. Sister, I'm not trying to ask you how old you are now, but I'm just, how old were you when you got saved? Aren't you glad you didn't die at 21? Aren't you glad Jesus waited for you till you're 22? He's waiting. Sister, how old were you when you got saved? 28. Aren't you glad you didn't die at 27? Chris, how old were you when you got saved? 20. Aren't you glad you didn't die at 19? Young man, how old were you when you died? When you died when you got saved? 23. Aren't you glad you didn't die at 22? He's been waiting for us for a long time. See, it's not God's will for people to go to hell. Hell, hell was not prepared for us. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But because of man's breaking of God's commandment, he can't go to heaven. So that's why Jesus came. And, and Jesus is the intermediator. He stands between me and the Father. So when I come to Jesus and I say, Lord, forgive me my sin, I repent. He cleanses me by the blood that he shed on the cross. And now the Father, God the Father, sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son. Isn't that beautiful? Brother, how old were you when you got saved? Aren't you glad you didn't die at 28? Were you ever close to death before then? You have been. But, but somehow God said, not yet. We're going to wait for this young man. Because even though maybe man gave up on it. I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying this in general terms. Maybe man gave up on you. People gave up, but God didn't. And now you're here leading praise and worship. But what about you? This may be your only opportunity you'll ever hear to get saved. I don't, I'm not trying to be morbid, but you may die today. I hope you don't. I don't think you're going to. I mean, but I don't know. I don't know. The Daniel, I didn't think he was going to die on Wednesday night. But it was the last sermon. 
And when they did an autopsy on Daniel, the young man in Dallas that died, they couldn't find out why he died. It wasn't a heart attack. It wasn't an aneurysm. It was not a stroke. It was just like God said, it's over. Two hundred and fifty thousand people die every day in the world. Every day. They say every time you blink your eyes, somebody died. Constantly. But that's why the Bible says the grave is never full. But can you imagine when you see Jesus as a believer?